have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Aloha and welcome again today to the believer's journey. I'm really glad you've uh, come to join us today. And I'd like to say that um, today I'm going to be solo. This is going to be an hour show. I hope I don't bore you. But what we've done is we've opened this up for people who want to comment or call in. Uh, if you look on your um, live stream there, there's a, a phone number. You can call and ask questions or make comments as we go through the day, um, through the hour today. And um, we just want to have a really good show. Today we're going to talk about, do you really know Jesus? And uh, in this, we're going to talk about salvation. We're going to talk about what it is to know Jesus, what it is that uh, tradition tells us that is true, and what does tradition tell us that's not true. So I want to go through there because there's a lot of things that we have picked up and carry through uh, the different churches or denominations or pastors or people that just talk to us and uh, organizations. And I want to get it straight so that we really have something more biblical rather than just something from our um, oh, past or whatever is, is up there is, is traditional. Um, real quick, I do want to say um, I became a, an agent, a secret agent with this company has... Um, Oh, what they call it, uh, mud, mud from the Dead Sea. And so I washed my hair with my wife's shampoo. It's really soft. I know that I was didn't want to tell her, but obviously she's going to see this. And so, yes, honey, I used your shampoo today, and it's really nice. Anyway, let's get on to what we're going to talk about. So to know Jesus in the terms that we understand is what we call normally salvation. I mean, everybody has their idea of what salvation is. And unfortunately, there's a lot of ways that we live in different types areas of the world, different types of churches that we go to, different denominations we go to, uh, the different programs we might connect with, or the different uh, parachurches that we uh, have connection with. And I want to I want to talk about this because I think there's such a, a a way that Christendom is going in today's world that has been compromised. It's been watered down, and and I know that you know if you go back 70, 80 years or 100 years, it was very you know fire and brimstone. It was very legalistic, and there's a lot of situations. But I think we've we've gone to the opposite side of the pendulum, and I'd like to. F- bring about what we have that helps us to understand, you know, what is real, what is true, what is actual. I know that my mom has said to me many for many years, she does not like organized religion. And if your church, I mean, there's nothing wrong with organized religion, but if that's all it is, is just religion and there's no real depth to a relationship with Jesus, then it's nothing more than just a religion like any other religion. And it doesn't give you the idea that you really know Jesus. So I want to talk about this. If you um, uh, are joining in and you do want to write in, uh, feel free at any time. So first off, let me talk about man's ways of salvation. These are ways we hear about through, whether it be a denomination, whether it be on the street, somebody passing off a, a tract, 
or reading to us what we might call the four spiritual laws or thing, anything like that. So one of the ways is this, baptism. There are people who teach that uh, salvation comes through baptism, baptism of water, if you will, okay? Um, however, the Bible is not clear on that and doesn't really teach that salvation comes from, you know, being dunked in the water or being sprinkled by the water, if you will. Okay, so that's one of the ways is baptism. Another way is confirmation. There are different churches, whether it's an Orthodox type church or Catholic church or um, other churches that have confirmation, and that supposedly seals your, your uh, salvation in with, with God. And that's another man-made uh, type of salvation. You have another one we call the sinner's prayer or the prayer of salvation. This also is actually done in most um, evangelical-type churches, and it is also not in the Bible. It is something that was created probably during the time of uh, Moody or when they had the evangelical the revival uh, era, okay, back about 150, 200 years ago. Um, the other one is uh, we ask Jesus into our heart, okay? Um, it never says in the Bible that we ask Jesus into our heart. Never says it, never even implies it. It's just something that we've come up into and we, we throw it around. Um, another one is joining the membership of an assembly or of a church, okay? Um, just to join a church or join an assembly, join a group, does not give you salvation. It does not help you know who Jesus is and know him personally in an intimate relationship. You can uh, belong to any kind of church, and, and it doesn't mean a thing as far as it comes to relationship with Jesus. And true salvation is that's what it is. It's a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus. And finally, I have here... It's, it's the phrase we hear all the time. We accept Jesus as our Savior. In other words, we, without making him the Lord of our life. The Bible doesn't teach that we accept Jesus or ask Jesus to be our Savior. That's not in Scripture anywhere. What is in Scripture is that we make Jesus Lord of our life or we confess him as Lord of our life. Okay, there's a difference between Savior and Lord, and I'm going to go through that today as we talk about what it is to know Jesus, okay? So let's start off with a, a passage, a passage I think that most everybody, maybe even worldwide, understands, okay? Or as, I'm sorry, not understand, but have heard of in this manner. And it's in John chapter 3, and it's the famous verse 16, okay? And I'm going to read it. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only his one and only Son, or if you want to have it in another version, His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life or everlasting life. Okay? Now, the situation with this verse and why it's taken so out of hand is we're going we're gonna to key in on the word believe. The word believe here in, the, in our basic dictionary, and I don't care what country you're in right now, the word believe, if you look in your, in your dictionary, it's going to have the meaning or the definition as this. It's something we understand to be true. Okay? However, when, if we think it's, if Jesus is just somebody we understand to be true, and that's all, all it is, then, you know, almost anybody can be a believer in Jesus or a, or a Christian if that's what, it, what all it takes. 
But that's not what the word means. The word in the Greek is actually the word pistuo, okay? The Greek word pistuo does not translate perfectly into the word believe. The word pistuo is actually an active verb. It means to follow or to act upon something that's been revealed to you or taught to you. So when we read the verse here, it says, whoever believes in him, we're talking about whoever acts upon and follows him. So what is a believer? What is a person who has eternal life? Somebody who acts upon and follows Jesus. Okay, this is basically what the word believe or what the word I should say pistuo literally will mean. Okay, and this kind of messes us up when we don't really understand the actual language. And it's not any different than the Old Testament. The, the, the Hebrew word has the same meaning. Okay, um, and it's really important we understand that as well. But I want to read on all the way to verse 21 because there are some things in here we tend to just want to skip over. So 17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. We like that. But to save the world through him. Oh, we just love this. I mean, this is just perfect for us. However, let's go on. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Remember, that word believe is whoever acts upon and follows him, follows his teachings, okay? Not understanding who's true, but follows him, is not condemned. But whoever does not follow him, teach, okay, we have the word believe, stands condemned already because he has not followed or act upon the name of God's one and only Son. Okay? So when we look at this verse, John 3.16, and we work, look at 18, we put it together as to know Jesus isn't to understand that he's real. Isn't to think that, oh, there's a doorknob over there. I know that's real. Same thing with Jesus. Oh, yeah, I read it in the, in the history, so I know he's real. That's not what the scripture says, nor does it mean. It means something we act upon and follow. If we're following the teachings of Jesus, basically, we come to know Jesus. If we think he's just there and true and, and was there for one period of time, that's not knowing Jesus, okay? So John 3.16 is, is pivotal to the understanding of what it means to act upon, to follow the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of God, okay? And let me read on to the rest of this. Verse 19 says, this is the verdict, that light has come into the world, okay? But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So who is the light? What is the light? Jesus is the light. Okay, so when we understand coming into God, coming into Jesus is the, as the light, we are exposing our deeds. If we won't do it because we're evil and we stay away from that, then basically we're not following the teachings of Jesus or the teachings of the Bible. Okay, so that's the first verse I really want to talk about and bring about. I believe we have a comment. Um, no, we don't. I can't see. <laughs> Um, my screen there is really small. My, my eyes are really old. So um, anyway, so I wanted to bring that about because John 3.16, John 3.16 to 21 really gives us an idea about what it means 
to be a Christian, what it means to be a believer of Jesus, okay? And I understand it's hard sometimes when we have our version, and that doesn't matter if it's English or Spanish or Russian or Romanian or, you know, whatever it's going to be, that word believe is what's going to pop out. But we need to get back to the Greek language and understand that that word pistuo is an active verb and the word believe is a passive verb. The word believe is something we understand. The word pistuo is something we act on, something we follow. So there you go, right in a nutshell, that's your bottom line. And that holds it. So I want to talk about a couple other things that we, we bring about that I've heard of. I know that people say um, from Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, <clears throat> it says that Jesus there, and he's talking, you know, it says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in, eat with that person, or dine with that person, and he with me. So a lot of people use this verse as one for salvation, Okay. There is, there is a problem with this in the beginning. Let, let's get back to the scripture, okay? In Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, it says, first off, this is uh, to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is to a church. This is to a church that is backslidden, okay? This is not to an unbelieving, non-believing, someone that doesn't want anything to do with, with him. And this is what he says in the very beginning. He says, uh, verse 15, I know your deeds that you are neither hot or cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm um, and neither hot or cold, um, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, he doesn't say, I am spitting you out. He says, I'm about to, okay? we need to. I want to catch this because of the differences we have in Christendom when we talk about salvation, we talk about knowing Jesus, okay? I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Some versions will actually say, uh, I will vomit you out of my mouth, if you want to get more graphic, okay? It talks about, you know, the church says, I am rich and I am in need of nothing. And, and Jesus basically is saying, you know, you're poor and have nothing, you know, because you don't have me. And basically he's talking about, you know, getting their life right with him. Okay, getting, getting on fire for him. So when he says, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I'll come into him. Now, notice the thing says, I stand at the door and knock. Too many people say, I stand at the door of your heart. I stand at your heart and knock. And they're misquoting the scripture. It doesn't say heart. It says, I stand at the door. Now, the interesting thing is, this whole idea comes from the Old Testament. Surprise, surprise. Zechariah 1.3 says this, Therefore, God is speaking, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says, Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. Okay, it's the same meaning. It has the same junction here that, you know, if you if you open to him, he's not going to force his way into your life. If you open your life to him, he will come in to you and you are you will be he and you will be together. Okay, now when we talk about the word heart, the word heart is not this thing that thumps in your, your body, okay? People that say, oh, from your head to your heart, this is a big difference between you and what Jesus is. And it's really not true. The word heart that we use in the scripture literally means uh, being. It's your soul. It's your life. It's all of you. So when you say, you know, uh, Jesus is in my heart, you're saying literally Jesus is in my being. He's in my soul. He's in my life. 
Okay, that is the difference between what we are talking about in our language today and what the language of the scripture is talking about. So when I say Jesus is in my heart, I'm saying Jesus is all of me. He is in every part of me. He is in my being. Um, I lived with um, some people from Israel, uh, some Israelis once, and they used, uh, instead of using the word heart, they used the word guts. In my guts, God is in my guts. And so it's a different terminology, but it kind of reflects the same thing. When you get back into the original language, we're talking about he is in my being. Okay, so... You know, through time, I think what has happened is Christianity has tried to um, reach people. And in reaching people, everybody seems to have their own way of, well, touching somebody else, making it their own, um, trying to reach where people might be or, or trying to avoid where they may not be. Um, and I'll give you an example of what I, where I've, in my journey of life. When I went to college, I went to a Nazarene college. A Nazarene college is basically follows the doctrines of uh, Wesley and Arminius. Okay, so Wesley and Arminian doctrine is what that usually follows. And you'll find a Wesley and Arminian doctrine in churches that are Wesleyan, that are Nazarene, that are Methodist, and so forth. And that's your Wesleyan Armenian doctrine. Then I went to a non-denominational university, and it really didn't have a stand one way or the other. But then I went to a Baptist university, went to Liberty University, and they are of a Calvinist doctrine, okay, so which is quite different from the Wesleyan doctrine. So you have these two opposites. The problem is, is that if you go to one and you don't go to the other, or you go to the other and not the one, you learn about one, and you don't learn about the other. You just learn about how the other is wrong. So the fortunate thing, I got to learn about both, and I, I really, it was wonderful. So I've come to a place in my life, when I take what Paul said in Philippians, he said to work out your own salvation. And so I decided that I didn't like some of the things in one of the church or the other church. It seemed like when I was in one church, it was very legalistic. Um, they wouldn't let you join a church if you were divorced. I mean, there was other things. And this is back in the 70s, but years ago, and I'm sure things have changed. But back then, when it was affecting me of where I was, and the other part of it was, I went to the other church, you know, you can say the sinner's prayer, you can live like the devil, and because you said the sinner's prayer, you're saved and you're forever saved and going to heaven, but you had no really lifestyle with Jesus. And I had a problem with both of these things. And both of them go to an extreme. And I feel like we need to look at the scripture because what we're doing when we grab one or grab the other, we're taking another man's theology without really studying it and studying how it compares to the scripture, how it compares to real what the scriptures say. And we're adopting their doctrine. And we're, what I'm going to say is we're becoming lazy. We're becoming lazy without having to search the scriptures for our what, salvation that God has called us to. You know, the scriptures are there for, for a reason. It's for us to learn. It's for us to get educated. It's for us to, you know, um, be disciplined. And it's important that we read the scriptures and we find out these things. So when I'm, when I'm in one part, so we look at Wesleyan doctrine, there are a lot of people on the Wesleyan side that say, well, you know, if you uh, sin, you could lose your salvation and go to hell. So if you're saved, 
um, what the what I've actually heard people say is um, if you sin and uh, you die before you are uh, asked for forgiveness, you'll go to hell because you're dying with that sin. Well, that's not even taught in the Bible, okay? That's just taught out of somebody's doctrine. And if we adopt that without our own research, we're doing ourselves a disfavor, okay? And if you're passing it along, you're passing along Scripture that's not true. It's not even in the Scripture. You're just passing on a doctrine that's not true. If I go to the other side of the coin and I say, well, you know, uh, God has called me and so therefore I'm his and there's nothing I could ever do that could warrant the fact that I'll ever not be his and live it for eternity. But if I decide to say that sinner's prayer, what they call it, now I'm saved, but I go ahead and I live like a sinner and I worship, you know, my car, worship um, whatever it might be. And, I, and basically I live a sinner's life. Um, God, you know, Jesus says things like this. You're my, if you abide in me, you're my disciple. That word abide doesn't mean to walk along. It means to remain. So if we re remain in Jesus, you know, we are his. So when we talk about the other side of the coin here, where if I live in a sinner's life, you know, and, and I've talked to people who've, who've said, once I'm saved, I'm always saved because they said this prayer, but they're out fooling around on their wives. They're out there gambling. They're out there cheating people. They're out there doing these things. And the person that's on the throne of their heart is themselves. They're living a sinful life. And they think that God's going to honor them and invite them into heaven. And I'm telling you, you're going to wake up on the wrong side of the, the, the bed one day and figure out you're in the wrong spot. You can't honor Satan, you can't honor the world and expect that God is going to honor you and hit with him. And I think that's important that we understand that as we look at the scripture. So even the scriptures I'm telling you here, I want you to look up yourselves because it's not important that you just take my word for it. It's not important you take, you know, Wesley's word for it or, or uh, you take Calvin's word for it or your pastor's word for it. The scriptures are the scriptures and you need to read them. They are what's absolute. And I think that's really, really important. Okay? Um, remember, you can call in uh, at any time. The number is there. It should be in the comment area of your screen. Or you can type in a question or a comment, uh, and I will go ahead and we'll uh, read it or we'll mention it online. Okay? So let me go on. There's another verse that's uh, been uh, misused, and it's in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And this is what it says. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, but is the gift of God. And it goes on, Not by works, so that no one can boast. Um, and we'll end there at verse 9. Okay, what we need to understand is, is that people pick out words out of scriptures. And I really, when I listen to certain sermons or certain teachings and people do this, it really bothers me. And, and it's got to bother you, too. I mean, it must if, if you're aware of it. But let's take this. For by grace. Now, the word grace, charis, is the, is the Greek word. And it's got, it's got various uses, okay? So first off, what it means, it means that which uh, is bestowed upon or it gives pleasure or delight. So when we say for by grace, for by delight, for by God's delight that you have been saved, through faith. Now, here we go, this magic word faith, okay? The word faith here is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. -I -S. It is a an active verb, 
Okay? So if you were to go to, if you really want to know what faith is by definition of the scriptures, go to Hebrews chapter 11 and look up and don't just read verse 1. Read the entire chapter because it explains to you what faith is. And faith is, in, in that chapter, it'll say this, that when, Noah, when God told Noah to build the ark and he built the ark, it was faith that caused him and made him, and what he did by building the ark showed his faith. Same thing with Abraham. Abraham took his son, you know, to because he was told to take him as a sacrifice. He took him. That was faith. Faith was taking him. In one of my um, uh, videos I do last year, I talk about, I was told that what faith is, is if when I look at a chair, and I see this chair on the side of me, and I, and I believe that if I sat in it, uh, it'll hold me up. That's faith. That is not faith. Okay. Actually, in my video, I literally stand up, walk over, and sit down in the chair. That is faith. Okay. So when we look at here, for by grace, for by God's you know pleasure and delight, He has we have been saved through faith, through our obedience to God and obedience to His words to us in a way we need to live for Him. Okay, that's really what it, what it says and how you would uh, define it in the Greek. Okay, and he goes on, and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Now, the problem with the word gift from God is that people are misusing it. When God says, here's salvation, there are too many people now watering this down by saying, well, Jesus did everything. We don't have to do anything because it's his gift. All you have to do is accept it, and therefore we have salvation. That is not true, and it's not what the Scripture says. It is What is a gift of God is a salvation. The fact that he, he painstakingly gave it, he sacrificed himself to give us this salvation okay and by this gift that we take we have to read the whole passage in context and the whole passage in context says that we receive this through our faith by our obedience by our following him so when you take the whole bible and you want to have a a theme that follows with this idea of a gift we've been given salvation but it's not ours until we actually make jesus lord of our life and to we actually, through our obedience, through our following his teachings, do we actually receive and have this salvation for ourselves personally. God has given salvation to the entire world. But it is not ours until we make Jesus Lord of our life. It's not ours until we follow his teachings. And that's, that's bottom line. That, that is what it is. And so... Unfortunately, we've, we've taken these passages and we've distorted them so that we, we've pulled words out to make it sound easier. And what it's become is a watered-down belief system, and it's just not good. Let me finish up because there's another thing I want to say in this Ephesians passage in verse 10. Verse 10 says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, the idea is, and the wording I'm going to take here is good works or works. You see, salvation doesn't come by works. We don't come to know Jesus because of our works. If that were true, then when Jesus was here on earth and talking to the, to the Pharisees, they were doing good works. They were doing a lot of bad works, but they're good works, which is outweighing each other. It's, it's not about their works. You see, what Paul is saying here is that we're created 
to be righteous. We're created to be holy. We're created for good works. And he created this from the beginning for us. And as we make Jesus our Lord, as we follow his teachings, we continue in living righteously, in living with good works, if you will. Okay, it's not that the good works brings us any kind of salvation. It's not that, you know, my good outweighs my bad or vice versa. And so I have to consider that that's just part of what we need to be well, how we need to live. Okay, and in doing this is why we have, you know, salvation, why we have, you know, uh, the life of a believer. This is how we get to really know who Jesus is. You can't know Jesus if all you do is. You know, punch a clock. Gee, I went to church today. Click, you know. Gee, I read my Bible today. Click. Gee, I paid my tithe today. Click. You know, it's not about doing those things that brings you into the idea that you know Jesus. The idea is that you follow his teachings. The idea is you become part of him. The idea is that you become his disciple, his follower. And in doing this, brings you into the, the nature of knowing Jesus. Okay? And in knowing Jesus, you actually have salvation. And that's how that all works together. <clears throat> so, um, I mentioned earlier in Philippians chapter 2, and um, Paul says something here I think is pretty interesting. He says, therefore, my dear friends, and we're in verse 12 and 13, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Here he goes. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you and will act and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Okay? So one of the problems that a lot of people have is the term fear. And here we not only use fear, we hear fear and trembling. Well, the word here, uh, phobos, for fear is in the Greek. It's not that you you are afraid afraid because like a, a mountain lion is going to come and eat you up. It's it's a different kind of fear. Uh, I wrote this down um, from somewhere and I put my own wording in this, but I want to read it to you. It, it sounds really good because it seems best to understand the term fear in this passage as that it was caused by a reverent fear of God. Okay, as a controlling motive of one's life in spiritual and moral matters, not mere fear. Okay, let me say that again, that last part. As, as a controlling motive of one's life in spiritual and moral matters, not as fear, uh, as mere fear. Okay, it's not fear of his power and righteousness or retribution, but a wholesome uh, dread of displeasing him. It's like... Um, I have a pastor that I that I I hold to my heart. He's like my dad. He's his name is Lon. He I, hopefully he'll be on my show in a couple months. And um, I dread, I fear, I dread displeasing him. Many people feel that way with their mother or their grandmother or their father or grandfather. But you have somebody in your life you probably dread, you fear of displeasing, of dishonoring them. That's what this word is meaning here, okay? So I understand what it means maybe in English, and I'm not sure what it has in, the, in other languages. But what we're reading here in the actual Greek is something different. It's something that we, dis, we don't want to displease God, 
So we we have that fear of displeasing. And that's what we're talking about. Now, the word tre- uh, tromos, which means tremble, literally means tremble. It doesn't, it's shake. It, it really has no other meaning. So when you talk about fear and trembling, you're you're talking about you you do this to a fear of of that which you don't want to displease God, and you tremble with this. So it becomes a very important thing to do to work on for your life as a believer. Okay? Um, so there, there's another passage that uh, that's used a lot. And, um, and I think I have a, a question. I really can't see it. Can you, uh, Shemaiah, can you read it? All right, I have it. It says, uh, do some dominations consider works important for salvation, like Catholic faith? Okay, good question. Um, yes, there are some denominations that do think it's important. The, under, the important thing is to understand how we separate the term works and salvation. So it's important that we live in good works, okay? And, and maybe that's not a good term to use in today's day and age. So let me change that wording. It's important that we live in righteousness, okay? That's a, that's a term that's used consistently and probably equal to what we're talking about, good works. As far as giving us salvation, no, that, that's, that's not going to happen. Um, actually, the Catholic um, faith, their actual doctrine does not teach uh, salvation by works. However, the traditions that they live by is what comes by salvation by works. And there, it's not only to the Catholic denomination only. We find that in the Orthodox churches. We find that in even Episcopal, I mean, not Episcopal, but we find that in evangelical churches. You go to lots of churches and they'll say, well, if you know, to be a, uh, have salvation, you need to go to church and pray and read your Bible and pay your tithe. Those are all works. And there's, where are we talking about the relationship? It's not there. So it's not, it's not only, you know, in the Catholic Church or in the uh, Orthodox Church. It's all over. It's all over the place. And I think that we need to be careful. Um, some people think that we're not supposed to do any works at all. Well, that's not true either. We do works to please God. That's what our righteousness is. Okay? That's our faith. That's our obedience. Um, but... Unfortunately, these denominations, they've gotten off track. Uh, again, a lot of times you'll see, you'll see their, the, in, within their writing, you know, their statement of faith, if you will, it may not say that we work for salvation. It may even say that we need to have Jesus Lord of our life, but it may not be what they teach. And it's a kind of a misnomer. But that's a good question. I do know that there are a lot of uh, people out there that talk about certain denominations Teaching works create uh, salvation, and it may be that is what maybe certain uh, people are teaching within their denomination, but it may not be the actual what's written on their statement of faith. And I've read the statement of faith in the Catholic Church, and it doesn't say that, but I have heard a lot of people and even priests teach that. So that's what's bad. That is why I'm telling you, you need to not listen to people and read the scriptures. That's why I'm telling you, Paul says, work out your own salvation. And that's why the, the scriptures say, the scriptures are important. Scriptures are important to read, to digest, to learn from. 
because they're for your salvation. They're for you. This is the word of God. And it's better to listen to what God has to tell you than it is for some man or some group or some organization has to tell you. Okay? And I'm telling you, this is really the really important. Um, there are many churches that are good. There are many churches that are not. There are many churches that have a good statement of faith, but they live on traditions that are not good. So you need to be aware of that. We need not to be lazy and just accept what they teach as gospel. We need to read the gospel. We, we need to study the word. And um, uh, we need to actually find somebody to help us, disciple us, somebody who might know some original language they can go to. Or if you have a way to get to Vines Dictionary or, you know, Bible Encyclopedia and see what some of these verbiages are and help you understand what the real meanings are. I mean, without, without that, we would be following something that isn't biblical. So, yeah, thank you for your question. I appreciate that. Okay, so there's another there's another um, passage that we hear, at least I have heard in most churches nowadays, especially your, your large churches, they use this scripture for their salvation passage. And it's in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And uh, it says this, that if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus um, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay. Now, I want to pick this verse apart because on the surface, it sounds like if we just say, say with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe it in our, our heart and just understand he's true, we'll be saved. And that's not at all what the verse says. Okay, at all. It's not even close. But this seems to be what our churches or our people seem to think it is. And first off, let's go to the word confess. Okay, the word confess means to agree with deep, excuse me, conviction. Okay, so if I'm agreeing to what? Agreeing to Jesus, agreeing to God in his teachings. What are, you know, what are, what are his teachings? His teachings are to follow the scripture, to follow his word to act upon what he says, okay? So if I confess, if I agree that I confess within my guts, within my soul, to follow him, I'm verbalizing that publicly, okay? That is that is the number one thing. The number two, Lord, okay? If you confess with your mouth, you know, the Lord Jesus. It doesn't say the Savior Jesus. In fact, nowhere in Scripture does it ever say that we need to confess Jesus as Savior to be a believer, ever. It always says to confess Jesus as the Lord. In fact, in Acts, Peter was asked, you know, how do I be saved? He says, confess Jesus as Lord, okay? And basically, we follow him as Lord. What does Lord mean? Masters. What is a master? Someone that you follow, someone that you obey, someone that you do all for, okay? So, that's really important. When we understand that Jesus is our Lord, we're saying that he is our master. We are his servant. Now, that may sound bad in some circles. You know, I mean, if you're a slave and you have a terrible slave owner, yeah, that's a terrible thing. You know, um, but in Jesus' case, you know, in God's case, he loves us. He cares for us. He wants the best for us. He wants to live with us eternally. Well, in that respect, having him as our master, having, being his servant is amazing. 
Okay? We are serving the almighty, wonderful, loving, holy God. And that is what brings us to this idea that we confess him as Lord, the Lord Jesus, okay, the master of all. And lastly, the heart. Now, I already talked about the heart. So when it says here, believe in your heart, believe in your whole being, okay? So what we're saying here is we, if we agree with God's teaching deep in our conviction and verbalize this publicly, that Jesus is our Lord, that he is our master, you know, and we believe it. We follow. The word believe here is, again, pastoral. We follow. We act upon the teachings with our whole being. Then we are saved. See, it takes a whole different connotation, a whole different meaning than if we were to say, oh, we just say it with our mouth and believe it in our heart that it's true and it's okay and we're saved. Whole different meaning. So we need to understand, you know, if we take some of this verbiage that says if we just think it in our heart and know it's this way or that way and say it with our mouth it will conflict with other passages and the one thing about the bible that has to be at the most the top of the the order is that it doesn't contradict itself okay so if the bible contradicts itself in one place Okay, that means the Bible is is not really going to be God's word, nor is it, it, it's useless. It's not real. So we need to take these scriptures that go along, that con don't contradict. And what I am teaching you today in the ways that I'm talking about, making Jesus Lord of your life, following him, following his teachings, acting upon, you know, what he's teaching you and in your, on your will, that's a theme that's not contradictory in the scripture. And you won't find anywhere contradicted in the scripture. So it's a good thing to follow in this mode. If you follow something like says, well, you know, if you if you uh, if you're a believer, but you you steal something, you die before you ask forgiveness, you'll go to hell. The Bible doesn't teach that. Okay, so basically that will contradict other areas of the Bible, because when other areas happen, when people actually sinned or did something wrong, what happened? God sent a prophet. God sends the Holy Spirit. God sends his son to bring you back into the fold, to bring you back into righteousness, bring you back into holiness. He doesn't just cut you off automatically. And this teaching is not biblical. Okay. He wants to bring you back with his care, his love, and bring you into the idea that you need to live a holy and righteous life. Okay, so the idea that you die before forgiveness, I mean, the Bible doesn't even say if you, if you ask forgiveness, you're, you're saved. That's another thing. It's, you know, we need to make Jesus Lord. It's just a bottom line here. It's just what it is. And I think it's so important that we follow that idea. Um, so, um, again, if you want to call in, if you want to write in, I'm uh, looking to see if we have anything coming in. I, I don't see, but... Let me go on. In Romans, it says this. When we talk about lordship, Romans 14, 8 and 9 says this. For if we live, we live to the Lord. Now, it doesn't say we live to the Savior. We live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Okay? And the Lord has a specific meaning. The master, he is our master. Savior has a specific meaning. It means someone who saves you from something. So when I look at all these scriptures, okay, uh, Acts 16, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Okay, so basically what I'm saying here is when you want 
want to know who Jesus is, you want a personal relationship with him, it's all about making him Lord of your life. So I said earlier that, you know, people tend to say that Jesus did it all. We don't have to do anything. And I said that's false teaching. It's not true. We do have to do something. What is that? We need to confess Jesus as Lord. We need to make him Lord of our lives. We need to call on him as our Lord. Okay? So um, believe, follow his teachings as our Lord. Okay? I mean, here it says believe on the Lord. Follow. Okay? Act upon Jesus. Okay? So basically, it's telling us we do have to do something. So what I'm teaching here is that our responsibility to become his, to know Jesus and who he really is, is to do this. We need to call on Jesus to be our Lord. That's our responsibility. If you want to be a believer in Jesus Christ, a Christian, or however the word, wording you want to call it, Messianic Jew, it doesn't matter. If you want Jesus to be your Lord, if you want salvation, if you want to have eternal life with him, you need to make Jesus Lord of your life. That's your responsibility. That's not Jesus' responsibility. That's not God's responsibility. That's our responsibility. And it's we need to take that up and, and go with that. Now, does Jesus have a responsibility? Absolutely. Jesus came to be our Savior. So when we make Jesus the Lord of our life, what does Jesus do? He becomes our Savior. Okay? So he saves us from sin. He saves us from death. He saves us, you know, f for a life, for eternity with him. Okay? And that is what it is. It's a twofold thing. I make Jesus Lord of my life. Jesus saves me so that I am free from sin and I am free to live with him eternally. And that basically brings us to the back to the round fold that, you know, we have that Jesus is in fact, you know, our our Lord, or somebody we know personally, okay? Um, looks like we have another write-in. I can see this. Can you read it, Shemaiah? Yes. Would you say salvation is active rather than passive? Some people seem to believe it is a one-and-done action. Okay. <clears throat> yes, I believe... When I, when I was, uh, when I was a, a kid... You know, and, and salvation was you say a sinner's prayer and you're saved automatically. Boom, a big event. Well, the Bible doesn't teach this. This is something that, that's man-made. It's not bad. It's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with a sinner's prayer. There's nothing wrong with the praying for salvation. I believe it's very good. In fact, um, what Lon Ekdahl taught me was that the, the prayer of salvation, what it does for most people, it's able to give us a point in, in history or a point in time that we can say, that is when I made my decision to uh, turn to Jesus and make him Lord of my life. It's not what actually saves us. It's not what gives us into that relationship. It, it points to a, a time when I turned my life around and then I literally made Jesus Lord of my life. I followed him. I followed his teachings. And that is an active way about it. It is, it is a journey. Um, you can say the prayer of salvation, okay, or sinner's prayer, and not be saved at all, not have any kind of salvation whatsoever. It's not about the prayer. If it was about the prayer, it would be in the scripture, and it would say so, and it doesn't have any of this in there. This is a man-created situation. 
So what we have is, what does it say in the scripture? We need to follow him. We need to abide in him. We need to remain in him. We need to make him Lord of our life. We need to uh, do his teachings, act upon his teachings. Okay, this is, this is an active way of living. Um, even when it talks about confessing, you know, uh, I don't expect any person who is a believer on day one to feel like they have to go out and shout it out to the mountaintop. But, you know, once you start maturing, that happens. Maybe not a mountaintop, but you start to, you know, speak out. You start to become open about your belief. And it's very much going to be uh, an active. If we think that, you know, well, gee, I said a prayer and I only want to worship Jesus, you know, out on the, uh, while I'm surfing by myself. You know, I don't really want to talk to anybody because it's kind of a private thing. That's not scriptural. It's not a private thing at all. It's a public thing. We, something we, we act upon. In fact, if you're somebody who tends to shy away from going to assemblies or, or church meetings or whatever, I, I tell you, don't do that. The Bible talks about how we need to meet with one another. If you have the capability of going to a meeting, to a church, to an assembly, do it. It's important. The Bible tells us to do that. If you're unable to get to a group uh, meeting or whatever, there are a lot of churches out there right now who do meetings in Zoom or in some kind of uh, computerized thing where you're on a screen and you're still meeting with each other. It's a matter, worship isn't a matter of I walk into a church and I sing songs and leave. Worship is a matter of giving you, giving your life to him completely. That's worship. So it's all about your relationship with him. Are you following him? Are you acting upon his teachings? So yes, it's very much an active lifestyle. It's not a passive lifestyle. And I, and I want to warn people who think that it's only passive that you need to really look at the scriptures because it's not passive. It doesn't teach it's passive at all. It teaches that it's an active lifestyle, an active following, an active obedience. And those things are all important. So basically, um, we need to live in this uh, by following, by acting, by, by professing, okay, and, and confessing this. Um, Okay, so I hope I answered that question. <clears throat> anyway, um, I have here, uh, I want to read this. Uh, I teach this in my class, and I, and I talk about evidences of new birth. When we talk about being uh, uh, having salvation or being a believer, or, or we are that term born again, and, and I want to explain what born again is. Born again is somebody who is born of God. That's basically what it means. It doesn't mean I'm born again because I said a prayer. It means you're born of God. You've become a new create creation, a new creature, if you will. And now you're living for him. You're acting uh, in holiness and living in holiness and righteousness that will honor God. Okay, And that is really where it's at. Okay. However, I have these evidences, and I have six evidences of new birth, of, of what it is to be a believer, what it is that you really do know Jesus. Because... You know, there's a lot of people out there, and there's probably more out there that, than than are not that think they're a, a no Jesus. They think they're a Christian. They think they're a, a Catholic. They think they're a believer, and they're not. And the and the reason is is they're not listening or reading the scriptures, uh, listening to what the Bible says, or reading the scriptures, what it says, and following the teachings. And uh, we're, we're I think we come up short. 
on, on that arena. So anyway, the first one is this. If, if you're born of God or born again, uh, you will not keep on sinning as a habit. Okay? In uh, 1 John 3, 9, it, uh, you can look that up. In fact, it says one will flee from sin. Okay? So if you flee from sin, you know, you're acting like you're a believer. Okay? Unfortunately, us human type people, we play with sin. We play with fire. Well, how close can I get to the edge? How close can I put my finger toward a fire before it actually gets burned? We do this as humans. And as a believer, we need to stay away from things like that because we get burned. It's, it's hurtful. It's bad. Okay? So look up First, first John 3, 3, 9. The second one is this. One who believes that only Jesus is the Savior of the world and only he can pardon from sin, that Jesus is is the Christ. And the word Christ literally literally means the anointed one or the Messiah. Okay? And you can look up 1 John 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 1. So we need to believe that he is the only one who is the Savior of the world. He is the only one that can uh, pardon us from sin. And that he is the only one who is truly the anointed one, the Messiah. Okay? Third one. Okay? A person who is born, who knows Jesus, is one who does what is pleasing to God and avoids what God hates. Okay? Kind of falls in the line of the first one I read. But we want to do what's pleasing to him. That's when I was talking about when Jesus is Lord of your life. He is your master. If he's Lord of your life and you're master, you want to do what's pleasing to him. Remember I said we, we work out our salvation in fear and trembling? Well, that's what, where this fits in. We want to do what's pleasing to him. We don't want to do things that are displeasing to him. Okay? And we should look up in 1 John 2.29. In fact, if you want to just read all of 1 John, you'll probably hit all of these points, okay? The fourth one is this. So if, if you think you, to really know who Jesus is, is someone who has a very special kind of love. It's an agape love for other believers, okay? As 1 John puts it, as other of the brethren, okay? So if you say that you're a believer, you're a Christian, but you hate other believers, other Christians. First John says that you're deceiving yourself. Actually, it doesn't even say that. It says that, that God is not in you, okay, at all. If you say that you uh, are a believer and you don't love other believers, it says you're deceiving yourself and God is not in you. So either way, you can either hate them or not love them. And either way, you're not a believer. You don't know Jesus is what it's saying. God's not even in you. Okay, so it's somebody who loves, who agape loves. Agape means someone who gives of themselves, you know, without any expectation of return. Okay, it's how God, uh, the Father, gave His Son Jesus for for us. Okay, uh, completely, totally for us. Okay, the fifth one is uh, if you to really know that you know Jesus. Okay, is someone who who overcomes the love of the world. And finds fulfillment in pleasing God. And if you want to read 1 John uh, chapter 5, verse 4. But one of the things I talked about recently, I did a whole series on uh, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And one of the problems is, it, it's John talks about, is that we're here in this world, and if we have a love of the world, we have a major problem in the fact that, you know, 
we're, we're fighting against the very fact that Jesus is the Lord of our life. Okay, so we need to not love the world. We need to not stay away from that. And uh, we need to overcome the love of the world. How do we do that? Well, there's a special gift we have called the Holy Spirit. And in this Holy Spirit, the Bible says it gives us power over sin, over, to overcome sin. And in this way, we could really work on the things that are hurting us, things that are hindering us. You know, if you say that, well, gee, God made me this way. God made me to have a desire to steal. Well, then that doesn't mean that you keep that desire. It's part. It's a worldly thing. We need to get over, over it. We need to overcome that. God gave me a desire to um, be a womanizer. Well, you know, we need to overcome that. That's a part of the thing of not loving the things of the world. God gave me a desire to love the same sex. You know, we need to overcome that. We need to live a life of holiness. God does not say just because he, you are have a certain desire just to stay in them and you'll be fine and dandy and live with him forever even though you're dishonoring his teachings no the bible does not say that and we need to be careful of that kind of teaching and those kind of denominations and those even that in our own life we need to really understand that we need to repent what repent means to turn away from and go the other direction Okay, literally, that's what it means. And finally, the sixth thing is, um, if you really know Jesus, it's somebody who will not only avoid himself from sinning, but also stay away from anything that is temptation toward sin. Okay, so 1 John five eighteen is the scripture I give there. So basically, don't play with fire. Stay away from it. Turn away from it. Run from it. You don't want to play with it because how is that honoring and loving Jesus? How can you say you know him and have this relationship with him that's intimate and wonderful if you're doing the things that he does not want you to do, living the way that he doesn't want you to live? So we need to overcome these things. And these six areas are really important to understand. These are the evidences that say that you're truly a believer, that you truly have a knowledge uh, intimate knowledge of Jesus. And I think it's important that we, we understand that life in him is not about the denominations. It's not about the churches. It's not about uh, the theologians. It's not about, you know, the commentaries. These are all man-made doings, you know. Yes, God created the church. That's true. But we need to follow the teachings of the church as it follows the teachings of the scripture. And if they're not following the teachings of the scripture, we should be going to a different church. Um, and there's always that. I mean, I was told this one time uh, that somebody didn't want to go to a church because it was awful, there was no love there, and so forth. And I, and I said to her, I said, well, you know, you went, if you go to a hairstylist and she does your hair wrong, do you not go to any other ever again anywhere in the world because they'll all be bad? Well, no, of course not, she says. Well, then every church is like the same way. You'll find good and you'll find bad. You need to find one where you can worship, where you can give up your life, working and honoring Jesus in that format in a church, in a group, an assembly that also honors Jesus um, in their lifestyle. So hopefully this uh, clears up a lot of things. Uh, if you want to write me during the week, I will respond. 
I do know that this is a real touchy situation because we all go to churches or we belong to groups or organizations that teach a certain way. And, um, you know, teaching a certain way, like the four spiritual laws. There's nothing wrong with the four spiritual laws. In fact, I like the four spiritual laws. But if you go through the four spiritual laws and you pray and you walk away living this life of sin and never turning to Jesus as your Lord, it didn't do a thing for your life. It didn't change you. It didn't make you a believer in him because a believer is somebody who follows the teachings. Okay. So I just wanted to end with that. And uh, hopefully uh, everybody will have a wonderful week and uh, God bless every one of you. And I'll see you next week. Aloha. Alan Cutting and the Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the word of God in a clear and practical manner. For more information, please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com.